Welcome everybody, this is Ed Smith, live from the Green Tech. Uh, this podcast is facilitated by the Green Tech and I will be interviewing Dirk Aleven, the man behind Food Ventures. Dirk, it's a pleasure to have you with me. Great to see you. Yes, well let's start with you. Who's Dirk? What, where do you come from? How did it all start? Well, uh, Dirk is um, uh, an average Dutch guy with red hair and he decided to start greenhouses outside the Netherlands. Uh, I was fascinated by, uh, by the technology used here in the Netherlands, all the greenhouses everywhere in the Netherlands, but I was uh, keen on bringing them to new markets. Yeah, and new markets, I mean, we are, we are kind of an international uh, b- bunch of people. Uh, we, we are active around the globe, but when I think about new markets, it's, it's especially in the world of greenhouse vegetable productions, we focus on North America, Europe, but you are active in Kazakhstan, you are in China, in Ukraine, Georgia, and what else is there to come? This requires some explanation, Dirk. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we're we're looking at. Um, I like adventures, first of all. So that that's one of the reasons why we've uh, been looking into the more like emerging markets. Um, first step was was Ukraine uh, ten years back, and uh, the reason to to look into Ukraine is that they are such a big importer of uh, fresh vegetables. So we have been always looking first at the markets, seeing where which markets are importing their vegetables and who have an opportunity of uh, producing it, uh, it locally. So starting into Ukraine was, uh, was, was uh, a first adventure, quite a challenging time just in the, in the middle of the crisis with Russia while we were constructing devaluation of the Grivna. I mean, we, we've had it all. Right. Then spent a few years in, uh, in Georgia, which is a, a safer environment, but, but fairly small. And um, uh, I think being there, we were recognized by some investors uh, who said, like, if you can do this here in the middle of nowhere, yeah. why don't we do it a bit bigger and uh, start, a, uh, start a greenhouse but, 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 in, in Kazakhstan? But before you continue, let's just go one step back. I mean, I, I kind of get it. You want to be there. You want to be Ukraine in Georgia. But that's easier said than done. Where do you start? Um, yeah, uh, by now I would say um, uh, I know what the pitfalls are a bit, but back then I didn't. So yeah. we started uh, too large in uh, Ukraine. We started on the lo- wrong location in Georgia. I mean, we've made all the mistakes that all these investors are making right now in, right. Uh, in larger scale projects. So I think it comes to, uh, in the end, it comes to experience and, uh, and having it done a couple of times and making your mistakes and then knowing what the pitfalls are and, and looking into um, into new locations. So when we are entering now new locations, we're, we're much more prepared on what to look for. And we also understand what the consequences are uh, of, of, first of all, uh, picking the right place and second of all, uh, uh, using the right technology and then ramping up that whole operation from, uh, from scratch. So ramping up that whole, picking the right place, uh, having the right technology, that almost makes sense to me. But, but on top of that, you need finance, you need green fingers. Yeah. There's a lot of other aspects that, that cultural, you need to understand cultural differences between the country where, we, where you will become uh, active. I mean, I know in, I live in Costa Rica for some 20 years now. I know what it's like to live in a relatively easy country like Costa Rica. But how did you do that? Because you still live in the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like the best growers uh, will not be the best growers in uh, in, in uh, 
Kazakhstan or in China, I would say. So um, uh, I wouldn't say that our growers are the best, uh, but they are the best equipped to deal with this um, constant changing environments. Because what we typically see is that there is a new greenhouse being set up and then there is this lonely grower dropped in the middle of nowhere on this new greenhouse and he tries to run the whole show, but he can't because he's not influencing uh, who is buying the fertilizers or um, uh, where they're buying it or what kind of a facility is being built. He only has a small part that he can control. Um, we believe that you have to bring in the whole team, so you have yeah. to take a responsibility for it. You have to take uh, you have to take your own uh, willingness to invest, put put uh, money where your mouth is, yeah. and uh, and have skin in the game um, in order to make the whole operation successful. Because we basically we have to facilitate that grower. That that grower needs to be focused on growing. Yeah. But around him uh, should be a team supporting him and making sure that he's not distracted from his main task being growing in. Well, well just to focus for a second on that grower because the whole world is looking for growers. I mean, the sector is exploding. Yeah. We need green fingers. If there's a, a an excellent grower here in the Netherlands, and what do you offer such a guy? And I'm not just talking about money, but what do you offer such a person to go all the way to the Ukraine or to Georgia? Yeah, we don't need that excellent grower. So, right. so he can he can yeah. stay in the Netherlands and try to squeeze out from 90 to 91 kilograms because yeah. that's that's what's yeah. been happening over the over the last decades in the Netherlands. What we look for are operators and we facilitate them with a knowledge center in the Netherlands. So we have a like, we have a back office in the Netherlands that on a daily basis monitors his performance both in climate, uh, in in labor uh, usage, in. Uh, Virtualizing everything and supports that operator on the ground and says, "Well, maybe you have to tweak it a little bit left, a little bit right." right. But we need the operators, and we were empowering them, these operators with using procedures and using tools. So, in, in that sense, when you look at what's happening in terms of autonomous growth, uh, companies are popping up around the globe, focusing on really on autonomous growth. It can only get better. Yeah, I think in the end, I mean, uh, autonomous growth means that that a, a operator can can run uh, not 10 hectares or 20 hectares, but maybe be able to run uh, 100 hectares. So, yeah. so we are also um, making sure that we gather more da data and and make our systems smarter, so that it not only depends on the human eye, but also on on a system uh, to to justify the the choices that we make. Right, yeah. right. Now, especially in a period like this, uh, we are entering. Let's hope in the post-COVID era, uh, COVID has shown us that we need healthy food, tasteful food, and food needs to be produced in a sustainable and affordable way, efficient way. Horticulture is doing that. Um, when I look at your website, it says we understand the complexity of high-tech greenhouse operations, take pride in producing healthy, tasty, and food-safe food all year round. In, geogra in ge geographies where, there's, where this is not yet so common, if I listen, if I read this, then I think, damn, Derek, the, f the, f the future is yours. Thanks, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, well, that's what, what's keeping me excited every day. That's, yeah. that's what's driving us. I mean, look at the, the example in Shanghai, where, where we're bringing in uh, really like tasty varieties and we're working with the, the seed supplier, we're working with the, with the greenhouse uh, developer to making 
that a brand to the, known to the Chinese consumer, it's fantastic. They they, they have enough tomatoes, yeah. but they want better tasty tomatoes and they want it safely produced. And they choose in the end for varieties grown by Dutch growers in Chongming Island next to next to Shanghai. Right, right. It's exciting. Yeah. yeah. It's an exciting time. But, well, let, let's just try first to get the concept and, and then dive into it a little bit deeper because you also claim um, that you you take care of the value chain of the the, the, the chain you you, you 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 are involved until the end you take financial responsibility yeah. how does that all work out I mean you must have a team of hundreds of people well first we started as as, as any other company I would say con uh, consulting first projects uh, new startups yeah and uh, then then I noticed like well, this is not it we, we have to be part of it we have to invest into it we have to put our our money there where, uh, as well and take and, and share the risk yeah. basically with local investors or investment funds so we do that in two ways either we we, uh, we have a fund that, that's being closed now in October but uh, which we, through which we have co-invested into the the greenhouses in mainly in the, in Central Eastern Europe uh -huh. um, and the latest model that we've done is uh, basically a lease so um, uh, we have real estate players in China that own the assets they would like to have a stable income from those assets and we pay a fixed lease um, and on top of that they have a gain sharing so so they have an interest in, in supporting us as well so these investors they do not want to uh, deal with the day-to-day -day operations of growing tomatoes and barks uh, uh, diseases right. markets um, uh, whatever right they, they leave that up to us so we guarantee them a fixed return on their assets uh, plus an operational uh, share so hang on, there's there's all kind of new business models being developed in the world. I mean, we got uh, App Harvest here at the Green Tech. We got Pure Harvest. Uh, pure, uh, private equity is a big thing uh, around the globe in uh, on a production level, <laughs> on a supply level. Having said that, your business model, as you're explaining it to me right now, seems quite unique. In this industry it is, but if you look at the examples in the hotel business, right. then, then there were the real estate players who said, well, we need hotels here in this city, mm -hmm. and we're going to, to build um, uh, the best hotels in the, in the city, yeah. but we want Hilton to run it. Right. Hilton doesn't, doesn't own yeah. many of those places. Yeah. Like ourselves, we own a few strategic locations, but all, of the, uh, all the rest, we would like to partner with a real estate owner uh, that's looking for a stable return and, and giving us the opportunity to, to rent it for 25 years and, and run it. Right. So in other industries it's very common, Absolutely. but in, in this industry it's not, and especially not if you look into the Netherlands, that we're always the operators, the growers, who were the owners of the greenhouse. Yeah. And, and uh, outside the Netherlands we need to scale up much quicker than we've done uh, yeah. in the Netherlands uh, over those decades. So it requires different um, business models. But you are scaling up yes. rather rapidly. So just just put that in words, please. When did you start in acreages? What, what are we talking about? What is food ventures as so, we speak? Yeah. So so we started with one hectare in in Ukraine, uh, and where we have lots of um, uh, lots of difficulties um, uh, running into two hectares into Georgia. Now uh, having ten hectares in uh, in operation in. Uh, in Kazakhstan, another 15 in Shanghai, and both of them being doubled in the, in the next uh, two years. So we're, we're looking at from one to two to 10, uh, and then now already at, at 20 and, and ramping up to 40, 40 or, or bigger. 
sky, sky is the limit or is it more important for you to focus on, on, on your concept and, and make sure that what you do is perfect, uh, fits your, uh, your, well, your we objectives? Have to, we have to balance a bit. I think uh, there is great expectations if you look at uh, from, from the investors and they all want to see a model that's scalable, quick, rapid, uh -huh. rapid growth. On the other hand, all the Dutch growers, they know how difficult it is to run um, a day-to-day -day operations and, uh, and, and that it comes always to the last details of it. So, so we want to balance, but we, we do believe that um, there's no need to, uh, to only um, expand once you have reached 100% of your capacity on the, on the first build. Right. Uh, you, you can be satisfied with, with 80 or 90% yeah. having a great return already then expanding and over time making sure that all of them reach 100 percent so yeah. there's there's a phase for uh, or a time for each, each yeah. phase i would yeah. say now now disruptiveness is a world that hardly existed in this world some 20 years ago but nowadays we got uber in the taxi industry we got uh, we got alibaba we got amazon whole whole sectors have been put upside down due to disruptiveness in water culture real disruptiveness has not happened yet you are kind of copying, as you said, it, as you explained it yourself, uh, the Hilton model in horticulture. You have developed in a couple of years uh, pretty rapidly. Does it surprise you that your model has not been copied yet? Because it, you're also not just choosing the, the most easiest market, but you make it happen. But maybe we, we think it's not disrupted because we're Dutch and we think it's business as usual. But if yeah. you look at the global scale, um, there weren't that many high-tech greenhouses and all of a sudden you see like such a huge interest from investors in China uh, pledging 1 billion, Ping Dudu recently did, on, on new greenhouses. We saw um, uh, in the Middle East uh, Pure Harvest, in App Harvest raising half a billion, another 1 billion pledged by, by, uh, by Equilibrium. I yeah. think this is quite disruptive that we bring in as Dutch this new technology in, new, in, in these existing markets which still 90% is being produced in, in traditional methods. So right. we're, we're, we're completely changing those traditional markets and considered to be uh, disruptive. I, I think we're too modest to, to understand how disruptive this is already yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. So what's your, what, what excites you most? I mean, after, in, in times of COVID, I mean, we've gone through tough times, but in the same time, it's exciting to see that, that, that the world will never be the same again. And you are one of the big examples that kind of proves that the world is changing in a lot of different ways. What, what makes you so excited about what you do? Well, I'm excited by the industry. I mean, I was new in the industry 10 years ago, and if, if I look at the people working in it, they're very, very dedicated. You see people sticking to this industry. Uh, they, they were already in it uh, from their young, younger years and still being in it. And want, they have this enormous drive to make things uh, smarter and better. I, I would love to see more uh, change in the way we heat and cool uh, our greenhouses because I 100% stand for the sustainable angle of producing uh, vegetables in, in contained environments like greenhouses. But I do believe that the way we heat and, and, and uh, cool our greenhouses are still very traditional. And that could be like, like a, a major improvement. Then we basically have an, an all solution. I mean, yeah. we, we do have the highest productions, but also the inputs uh, to it uh, are sustainable. So make that, that a big, that, 
bit more practical? What are you referring to? Are you referring well, to energy. geothermal energy, solar, wind? What, 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 it depends on the, the, the situation where you're in, the geographical yep. situation. Well, but in Georgia, we, we use geothermal energy. In, uh, in um, Kazakhstan, we're using uh, flare gas. So instead of flaring the gas, we're using it for, for heating and, and electricity. And we're right. substituting the inputs of, uh, of vegetables. Yeah. So, so um, and in China, if you look at the Chinese case, we want to produce next to the cities. These cities are in hot and humid areas, um, and we're using a lot of electricity and gas to to create the climate that we want next to next to that city, which is not sustainable. Um, and and I would like to challenge ourselves and the construction companies to make sure that that inputs, because it doesn't change the greenhouse, it just changes the inputs, that, that inputs have to be uh, sustainable. So we're working with a, um, a startup from the Netherlands who's, who's specialized in uh, making sure that we use solar energy also for the cooling. Right. So when it's, especially when it's hot and humid, you can use that energy to, uh, to cool your greenhouse. Yeah. So if you look at a, a greenhouse as such, nowadays we hardly use any pesticides anymore, it's biological crop protection, we don't need any chemicals or whatever anymore for pollination, we use bumblebees. Uh, every drip of water is either used by the plant or is being recirculated. You can say the same thing about fertilizers. So we are, we are doing a very sustainable job. No. Is the challenge um, to explain our story to society, to politics, is the, 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 the challenge at this moment what you just mentioned, the energy issue? Um, yeah, but, but, but the topic, uh, the, what you're uh, referring to is that the consumer might not be aware how sustainable our, our produce is. And that's, that's a huge challenge for yeah. sure. So the idea is that organic production is sustainable. Well, if you compare greenhouse production with, with uh, organic production, you, you would see the difference in sustainability. And, and I, I truly believe that it's more sustainable, and it's also proven by the Wageningen University, right. that it's more sustainable grown in, uh, in high-tech greenhouses. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a story that we tend to tell as an industry from a tech perspective, and I think we have to, we have to be more sexy. And, and fortunately, we see those examples already in the, in the US and, and Middle East, yeah. uh, where, where, they, where they are better experienced in telling that story and, yeah. and also reaching out to the, to the great nation and to the public so they understand that that product coming from that, uh, that greenhouse next to them is, is the best product available. So how do you explain that? I mean, here in the Netherlands we are like the Silicon Valley of the food domain. This is where, where uh, Wageningen University was elected five, five years in a row as the best agricultural, agricultural university. Green Tech is one of the meeting places in the world of controlled environment agriculture. Why are they better capable in the United Arab Emirates or in the United States to tell their story to consumers than we here in the Netherlands? Um, I think we, we have a history that we that we drag on. I mean, we all know the stories of the Wasserbomben and the, and, yeah. the, and the way we used to produce like uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. So. Um, they do not have that history. They look as a, as a complete, from a blank page, right. they look at the available options. And then it's obvious that this, this option of green tech, uh, of, of, of high tech greenhouses, is the most sustain, sustainable way of producing. So yeah. it's, it's wonderful that, that uh, and I think that's the, the opportunity we have to look for, that 80% of the world is not yet used to high tech greenhouses. Right. So we can still bring that message. and start from scratch and, and look at uh, all the benefits that we have to offer as a sector. Yeah, so what do, what do you do in re that respect? I mean, you have kind of chain control, at least yeah. you are 
On a marketing level, on a storytelling level, how do you spread the word in Kazakhstan or in China? We team up, uh, for instance, in uh, in uh, China with with some top, top restaurants in Shanghai, yeah. um, owned by Chinese. Very um, uh, very cool places to be at, uh -huh. and you see that the, the chef cooks of these places they would like to source locally, and they would like to source high quality uh, vegetables. So they would they they want to work with us, and then through that channel we reach a, a huge audience not the ones that are looking for high-tech solutions no the, the the audience that is looking for tasty good food because they're going to that restaurant yeah and then they they start to know about our brand and we so we, we cooperate with uh, with with uh, really cool and nice restaurants in uh, in Shanghai and that's the way to start Absolutely. top down yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so when when you will be active in Holland how would you do it when you were here I can't. Exactly. No, so, I can't. That's so. a, I mean, this is a. I mean, it's an absolutely saturated market, and I have deep, deep respect for those operating in this market because yeah. they have to be the very, very best. Yeah. And very precise on the last uh, square centimeter, and I'm not that kind of a guy yet. I'm, I'm like yourself, an adventurer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. You're absolutely right. But in the meantime, it's kind of scary, isn't it? I mean, you can't do it in Kazakhstan. You can't do it in China. You got chain control, and in, in, in a country like the Netherlands. Uh, that the chain control is not really there. There's, there's not quite some companies involved until you reach that final consumer. Yeah. So that, 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 that market awareness of what's going on on a consumer level, on a society level, it's much more difficult to understand when you live in the heart of horticulture yeah. in the Netherlands than it is for you in Kazakhstan. Or is that well? And it's it's because it's a young market in the in the yeah. and so in the in the in the markets that we enter, it's it's relatively young in its um, in its development. And I think I mean we do have a few good examples in the Netherlands, like uh, like Loya or, or or a Red Star who did do a deeper integration towards uh, the consumer. So yeah. we do have some examples, but it's it's uh, different. I mean here it's all about cost price. Exactly, exactly. And in the meantime, you see with COVID that, that, we, 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 that, that there's kind of a tendency, I think, that we go back to the essence. And the essence is that as a, any organism on this planet needs to feed itself, it needs to, yeah. to protect itself, and it needs to reproduce itself. Okay. But food is very important. And we, as society, we kind of have a huge gap between the way our food is produced, what should we eat to have a healthy diet, but when we become more aware of that, our diet becomes better and that, that, that healthy food is vegetables, a big part of that is vegetables, should and can be produced in a sustainable and an affordable way. That's who we are. So we got, a, we got an amazing story to tell, right? Yeah, yeah. Lot, lots of things to do. We got a lot of yeah. things to do. Yeah. And the funny thing is to hear from you that you can do that. Uh, in a country like uh, Georgia or Kazakhstan and China and that we are still so much struggling with getting our story out. Yeah, and, and I think uh, um, one of our challenges, of course, is that start, it is a very capital-intense uh, yeah. business. So, so um, uh, that, that's one of the challenges that we have and why we, we came up with that uh, lease model as well. Right. That, that enables us to grow faster and, uh, and, and because I think I think there is there is plenty of investors looking for stable returns on green assets, yeah. uh, but they do not want to be involved in uh, the day-to-day -day operations of running a farm. Right. So that's that's quite of a quite of a I think a good opportunity. Yeah. What's your big, biggest struggle at this moment? And it does not necessarily have to be Evergrande. <laughs> well, to touch uh, Evergrande, I think um, so. That's our partner, our real estate uh, partner in uh, in China. Um, 
I do consider that, of course, as a huge uh, challenge. They, they are um, in the spotlights on the, because of their financial position. But that will not change the drive that the Chinese government has on sustainable food production in high-tech greenhouses in, in China. They, they've done it, the government has done it through real estate developers like Evergrande, but there are plenty of others. But whatever happens, I mean, we cannot predict it, we will never fully understand what's, what's going yeah. on there. Uh, whatever happens, they will not stop um, to move production into safe areas and, and high-tech areas like greenhouses. Um, so, yes, yes, it is of a challenge because we're a bit in the vacuum. We don't know exactly what's going to happen and how quick and, and, and what the implications are. But in, in the in the midterm, we know that the, it will, will not stop the transition to, uh, to high-tech farming in, uh, in, in China. Right, right. Um, besides that, besides Evergrande, are there anything that... Um, do you wake up at night once in a while? Uh, well, I sleep pretty okay, I have to say. I, I got, a, I, I got a, a stomach for it now. <laughs> um, but what we're trying to do is, uh, is uh, and that, that's, that's quite of a challenge, is that um, uh, it's still, um, a lot of it is experience-based. So the, the judgment of a plant, what is a good plant, what is a bad plant, is it performing well, is it not performing well, that's still uh, quite subjective. Yeah. And, uh, and we would, like anyone, we would like to make that more data-driven. Uh, but I think there is a bit of a hype on artificial intelligence. Um, in my perception, the, the data itself uh, is still not really well organized and mm -hmm. disturbed. So garbage in, garbage out. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to analyze it. And that's, that's our main focus now, to make sure over the last two years, also in COVID, we've, uh, we've invested heavily to make sure that our data on our plants and on how we justify a good plant from a distinguish a good plant from a bad plant is transferred transformed into data so yeah. at some point in time i hope we can we can have systems supporting our growers and, yeah. and making that, uh, that that decision sounds good now the the theme of this green tech is happy food healthy flowers happy food happy sorry i think it's happy food happy flowers i'm not 100 sure now anyway let's just stick to happy food i think happy food requires a happy people uh, if, if you as the CEO of Food Ventures wouldn't be a happy guy, it's very hard to convince your clients, to convince your personnel you're a happy guy, I think. Yeah. At least that's the way, I, <laughs> that's the impression I get from you. But trans, translating that to happy food, what, what, what's the relevance of happy food? When, when I say happy food to you, what's your response? Well, it's, it's Vitabite actually. It's the latest uh, brand that we, we launched in China. It's, it's, um, if you see the, uh, the packaging, it's all about happy moments. Yeah. So we would like indeed to see, like, it's, it's not about because it, you have to follow that diet or it's so super sustainable. No, it's, it's good food that you share in good moments. And that's, exactly. and that's exactly, I mean, that's why I love uh, your work at Eat This. I mean, yeah. it's the same message where you, where you it's, it's, not, it's, it's fun, it's in, uh, in, in, in uh, harmony of good people and, uh, and safe food. Yeah, yeah, great. Any final recommendation to people who are listening to this and who are completely inspired by Dirk Aleven and think, damn, this is my future? 
either join us or do it yourself. There's so much to do. So uh, I mean, go out there and but be realistic and um, and, and work for uh, for a couple of years first, maybe in a in a greenhouse, really understanding the business, not only the hype around it, yeah. but understanding the the practical side of it. It took me it took me years to understand growers, and I'm Dutch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We speak yeah. we speak the same language, but we speak a different language. So it really took me years to understand what they're looking at, how they look at the plants, and why the Dutch growers are the best around the globe. So is that also an indirect way of saying that there are quite some people, some projects out there which started with private equity or with whatever, but without really knowledge on how this sector is organized? Are you worried about, I'm not going to mention any names, but I think we all know about some companies that, that kind of... Well, I think the money is one part of the business and you yeah. have to secure the, the grower's DNA in whatever you do. So yeah. so we're, we're very keen. I was for a long time, I was the only one without green fingers, I would say, and I was proud of it and I'm still, still, still am that we build our company around growers and, and we keep a grower's DNA in it because yeah. in the end, it's a commodity, it's food, and it has to produce in a, be produced in a smart way. And, and growers just have that in their DNA, in their fingers and everything. Yeah. Dirk, it was a real pleasure to have you. Same here. It's Thanks not going to be the last time I think I'm going to interview you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I wish you a very pleasant uh, green tech, and I'm looking forward to the next podcast. Wonderful. Okay, Thanks. thank you. Cheers.